Hello and welcome to Grace Life Stellenbosch. We are a gospel-centered church family focused on reaching the unreached and making disciples. We pray this teaching will help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus and discover more of the reality of Christianity. I want to just challenge you right off the bat and say if you came not expecting anything, change. <laughs> change now. Like expect something. You didn't just come to, to, to tick a box. You didn't just come to church to, because it's a good thing to do, even though it is. Um, you didn't just come maybe because someone dra- dragged you here. Like just stir an expectancy in your heart. And the word says that we come in with thanksgiving and praise. So thanksgiving and praise is already like I'm expecting something. Like I'm thanking someone which bigger than I am. I'm, I'm graciously and glad because there's something that I cannot do that someone else is going to do for me. Amen. Or has done for me. And that's Jesus. Okay. That's what we're looking at. And this morning, I'm not sure if it's a series or it's a once-off, but we're calling it Signed, Sealed, and Delivered. Signed, Sealed, and Delivered. And I really want to just chat about that a bit because I think if we think about all of those things in a Christian sense, we might need to just uh, realign our thinking a little bit. Okay. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm like, Lord... Every Sunday, it feels like we need to correct things. We need to pull things straight. We need to put things back in line. We need to um, show the doctrine clearly. We need to explain, um, like, is it really needed? And then I was reminded of Jeremiah, I think it's Jeremiah 1.10, where the Lord says you need to tear down, break down, pull apart. And only at the end, then it's to build and to, to grow. So unfortunately, there's a lot of unlearning we need to do. And then there's so much learning that we need to do. But both are so important. And I wanted to just um, share with you, like, it's not going to change. <laughs> it's not going to change. Like, that's why we have love. Amen? Because love encapsulates and love makes a safe place. Love is a safe place of shelter. So in love, we can grow. In love, we can acknowledge that we might have been wrong. In love, we can ask for forgiveness. In love, we can accept grace. Because grace says, I cannot do it, but someone else has done it. And that's why love is such an important part. And really, I believe the sign of the Holy Spirit is love. Because the fruit of the Spirit is love. And love is then expressed in what we think the fruit of the Spirit is, according to Galatians 5 verse 23. But if all of who God is is in the Spirit, then it has to be love, because God is love. So the way that we see the Holy Spirit, I believe, needs to just be purified, if we can say that, to be love. When we think about the Holy Spirit... Some of us think about weird things. Some of us think about uncomfortableness. Some of us think about scary things. Some of us think about fire. Huh? Fire! None of you haven't been in those meetings. I was teaching Bradley, our one and a half year old yesterday, to say, fire! <laughs> Just because I was uh, meditating on these things. And he went for it. So Ephesians 1 and verse 3. We're going to go through a bit of Ephesians 1. And then I'm going to show you some Old Testament applications, like I like to do. And then we're going to land the Boeing. Everyone good? Okay, so Ephesians 1 verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Who's still praying, God, please bless me? (laughs) Arnold's been here long enough, Amen. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blemish before Him in love. So you're before God, but you're in love. You're not in the judgment seat. You're not in court. Okay? You're in love. Like, and that's not in love like in just like Cupid and Valentine's Day love. No, you're in love. Like where you are, that's love. You're encompassed about with love. If you were the golden, uh, a goatfish, if you were Nemo, love is the ocean. Okay, if you're a, golden, a goldfish, then it's the bowl with the water. That's love. You're in love. Like you're surrounded, you're encapsulated. And that's really the idea behind signed, sealed, and delivered. Like it's not like, it's just not, some people have a, um, like a jam jar mentality. Like where the Holy Spirit just seals the, the lid. And now the demons can't come in. We'll look at that now, but the word sealed in Ephesians that we're getting to is not that. It might include that, but signed, sealed, it's sealed, it's the holy mark, it's the royal stamp, that's the sealed. 
And yes, no demon dare come near that because they won't. Al-Siddur. Yeah? So it includes that, but it's not that. And it's not just like now you, you, you tell a lie and now you think, oh, no, the belt of truth, now everything's fallen apart and now I'm open to... Like, you laugh, that's what I believe. <laughs> I believe that. Like if you tell a lie, then all of a sudden the armor is, there's a kink in your armor. Okay? That's not what the armor of God is about. It's not really something that you can take on and put off. Like you've been... You've taken on, you've been clothed with Christ. Christ is the armor. Christ is truth. Christ is the way, the truth. So how are you going to put off Christ? You can't put off Christ. You can put off the old man with your old ways and your old thinking. That's where the renewing of the mind comes in. But you've put on Christ. Now, it's uncomfortable to wear two jackets. Anyone ever wore two jackets? It's uncomfortable. So the Bible invites us to say, now that you wear the robe of righteousness, why don't you take off the old robe of the flesh? Why don't you put down this thinking self-effort and just embrace grace? That's really the invitation. That's what we're looking at. Verse 5, having foreordained us unto adoption. Now the word adoption in our culture is different to what it is in the Greek. The word in the Greek means placement as a son. Placement as a son. Basically what it says is you've got signing rights. Okay? Golden signet ring, the stamp of the king, signature of our day. Now you have that to, to, to stamp. So you don't pray in your name, you pray in his name. So you stamp with the seal of the king. It's a decree. It shall be. Like a king doesn't ask. Please guys, come on. No, it says that's it will be. And often the king can't even um, like, turn around the decree. That was what happened with, um, with Daniel and his friends. There was a decree, so the king had to obey his own command. That's how serious this is. So when we say, body be healed, that's the authority that we should say it with. That even if I change my mind, or even if I doubt later on, it's already done, it's said, it's decreed. It's stamped, it's signed, it's sealed, it's delivered. And then we, let, we need to get into that victorious mindset a bit. And it is the goading to the good pleasure of His will. Some of us think like God is just sort of, ah, oh, my kids. I have to, like, just accept them. I have to, like, just deal with them. Like, no, it's according to the good pleasure of His will. It's what he wants to do. He wants you near. He wants to close. Um, to, he wants you close. He wants to spend time with you. He loves it. He loves it when the saints gather. Why? Because now we can minister one to another. That's really the awesomeness of being together in church. Verse six: To the praise of the glory of His grace, which we He freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Anyone see the word there? Um, he made us accepted in the beloved. The New King James says, "That's past tense." The word freely in the American Standard Version speaks about it is, it is not, to your, it's not for you to pay. Okay? Who had coffee here this morning? Did you pay for it? So was it free? Guess what? You did pay for it. <laughs> if you gave into the offering, because we had to buy the coffee, but we could give it for free. And that's the same here. Grace is available for free because someone paid for it. But we're not asking you to pay for grace, because God prayed for grace. Amen? By the blood of His Son. That's how we need to see this. It's not... The thing is, just because it's free doesn't say it's cheap. Just because it's free doesn't mean it's cheap. Now, what is value? See, I'm a little bit in my business leader's mindset still. Value is not what something costs. I want to give your secrets away, but a cup of coffee made by a barista... Freshly served with some art on top. Can I give you a secret? It does not cost 36 rand. It doesn't. <laughs> you can ask your one what it costs. No, he won't tell you. But what you and I do, if you're like me, you have a mindset that 36 rand or a coffee, you get to keep either. You get, you get to have either. Most days, maybe twice on some days, I make a decision that that coffee is worth more than the 36 rand. So I part with the 36 rand 
because I'm willing to pay not what it costs, but what it is valued at. Okay? There's some business advice if you want to tap into that. Like you, you'll make a lot of money. What did Jesus, what did you cost? What did, what, what did it cost to redeem you, to pay for you, to buy you? What did it cost? Let's ask the question like I just said. Like what, what was God, what was the value that God placed on you? Different way to ask it is what was God willing to pay? His son, himself, his life, his, his, his everything. But we walk around like beggars. Ah, oh, please. We, we sing, ah, oh, please, daddy, not good, good father. Anyone know the Leon Schuster reference there? Ah, oh, please, daddy, won't you take us to the rugby? Nah? That's our mindset. We, are, we have a beggarly mindset often. Uh, uh, one of the phrases of a song I listen to often says, Free us from the poverty of begging for what's been given. That's a, it's not that you don't have it, it's that you don't know that you have it. That's a poverty mindset. A poverty mindset is not that I don't have money. A poverty mindset is that there's limited resources, that I don't know how to make money or get more money, or I cannot do this, I'm a victim, people need to give me. So that's a beggarly poverty mindset where we have a mindset that I'm a son of God. Well, the bank account might not look like it. Well, God doesn't have money. Okay? God can give you food. God can give you accommodation. God can give you clothing. He never promised to give you money. He said, with food and raiment, they would be content. I've got testimonies that I've shared before. We needed food. People didn't give us money. They gave us three bags of tomatoes. I don't eat tomatoes. But I eat tomato soup. So I made delicious tomato soup. And there was so much that we actually gave it away. Some of it. That's God, amen? There was something end of last year that happened similarly. We, 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 we needed something and it was just an abundant supply. Uh, rusks. We had rusks, like bags full of rusks. You ate some of it because we, we had more than enough. We didn't pay for it. We, just, we, we shared because that's what we do. Because God's going to give us more. God's going to give us what we need when we need it, amen? Which He made abound. Well, we're in verse 6. Verse 7. In whom we have our redemption. Through your suffering, through your blood, sweat, and tears, through you fasting, giving. No, through His blood. Okay, so just because you get it for free, remember, doesn't mean it's cheap. It's, 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 you can't pay for it. <laughs> Never. That's why you need to take it as a gift. Because the Word says even the law will never bring the flesh to righteousness. The law cannot make us righteous. It cannot. Yet, I've tried for years. But it's through His blood. The forgiveness of sins, according to, how much I say sorry? According to how early I arrive on a Sunday. No, according to the riches of His grace. You see, I show up, and I'm stamped by the Holy Spirit... Signed, sealed, delivered. And the only thing I had to do was accept it. Receive it. And now acknowledge it and live according to it. That's kingdom living. You see, you, you don't choose to be born into royalty. But in Christianity, you have to choose. And that's the only thing you need to do. It's when you choose, then, then you've chosen. Now, the word foreordained, I want to quickly just mention that. Like, everyone is predestined. Everyone is foreordained, but only some accept it. Okay? Because the word says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. Okay? God wants to see everyone saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So, ordination, foreordination, predestination, it has to fall on those verses. Many are chosen, few are called. Why? Because only a few respond to the call. Only a few say, yes, stamp me. 
That's it. And then we live according to it. I know there's much more on that, but let's not overcomplicate things that don't need overcomplication. Verse 8 says, Which He made abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, or understanding. And that's why we get teaching, so that we can understand more. Verse 9, Having made known unto us the mystery of His will. Wow! No, God's ways are higher than our ways, and we, 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 we cannot know what God is about. Well, are you reading your Bible? Because it says that He has made known to us the mystery of His will. What is the will of God? That none perish and all come to repentance. That everyone be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That His house is full. I want to ask the moms here. What is the highlight of your year? If you have it, and I'm sure it's going to include when all your kids are under your roof. Not in the same town. Not at the same wedding or at the same birthday. Under your roof. Like, and if you're a kid, you know that's ridiculous. Because how are we all going to fit? But guess what? Your mom doesn't care. <laughs> that's not what's important. What is important is that all the kids come home. Okay? My sister's laughing because we have one of those coming up. There's going to be lots of babies keeping each other awake. What is the heart of the father? That all the kids come home. Think about the prodigal son. Every day the father was on the lookout. So he wasn't just celebrating the son that was with him. He was hunkering. Like let's use that more Afrikaans word. He, there was a, a longing for all the kids. The ones who's not there. That's why God leaves the 99 to go for the one. That's the will of God. God is after the lost. Amen? Come on, holy Christians. Say Amen. <laughs> We gather to grow to go. We're here to find the lost. Amen? We can't just sit here for our blessed assurance and, hey, I'm going to live my best life now. Your best life now is if you start acting according to the will and purposes of God. And that is to see all come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. You can either believe me now or say sorry later. You're not going to say sorry to me. You're going to be sorry for yourself because you're going to live a different life and then one day you're going to realize, even if it's the day you die, that wachatz. I didn't live up to my full potential. Think about it. What is our biggest and greatest example of ministry? It's not Paul, even though we, we think it is. It's up there. Paul's up there. I've been meditating on this for a while now, but the greatest example we have of ministry, the way we should do it, is Jesus after the resurrection. Jesus after the resurrection. Yet so many Christians are wanting to be like Jesus of the chosen. I mean, Jesus of before the resurrection. If you, if you heal someone, if you raise someone from the dead, that's awesome, unless they go to hell. So if you raise them from the dead, you better share the gospel with them before they leave. Because what is the greatest blessing? You're not here to raise people from the dead, even though that is included. You're here to make known the mystery of His will, which is that all be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, not according to our effort, but according to His payment. By the death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and pouring out of the Spirit. That's the mystery. Colossians 1.28 says it clearly. The mystery that was been hidden for ages and generations has now been made known. was manifested. And the passion says, Christ is our message. You want to be a minister? What should I preach on? Christ is our message. We're going to do business leaders. What are we going to preach on? Christ is our message. Amen? There's different applications. Or is it just different packaging of the same message? You can decide. I don't want to give all my secrets away this morning. Christ is our message. The mystery hidden from ages and generations now made known according to the good pleasure which He has purposed in Himself. So he had a plan and he said, I'll take it on me to make this plan work. I have a plan and I'm going to work the plan. You can read Isaiah 54, it speaks about it as well. Ephesians 1.11 In whom also we have made a heritage, having been foreordained according to the purpose of him who works all things 
after the counsel or purpose of His will. This links to what we had at business leaders yesterday. We can do a lot of things, but it's not according to the purpose of God. We're not going to have the full backing of God. You heard right. If what we do is not according to the purpose of God, you're not going to have the full backing of God. So it's according to His purpose. Who works all things to the counsel or the purpose of His will. So if we know what the will of God is and we align ourselves to His will, we are actually swimming in the slipstream. We've got some cyclists in the room. Why is it so often that the peloton catches up with the breakaway? Because there's more slipstream in the peloton. So we can either ride in the slipstream of the will of God, or we can try our own thing and tire ourselves out, and then say, hey, this church thing, this God thing, this Christian thing, this, it just doesn't work. No, it's because you, doesn't, you don't work it right. Not according to the purpose of His will. Verse 13, In whom you also, having heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom, having also believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Signed, sealed, delivered. The word sealed there in the Greek speaks about a stamp for security and preservation. A stamp, a sign. So it's not that you cannot open the envelope. It is that the sign that is stamped on the envelope carries so much authority that you dare not open the envelope. That's what he's trying to, to convey. It's not like, well, now you're saved, so now at least the demons can't touch you. Some people have that mindset of that verse. It's much more. It is not defensive. It is progressive. It is offensive. It's on, on the front foot, this type of thing. Like you're walking around with a letter. And you're going to tell the world, like, I'm saved, I'm secure, I'm son of God. I've been placed, I've been adopted, I've been accepted, I've, I'm rejoicing in that. Not me, but him. Only I get excited about my intro this morning. This is good news. You carry around the stamp of the God of the universe, who says you are good enough, you're accepted, you are loved, you are mine. So you can walk around with an attitude in this world that says, my dad's bigger than your dad. My dad's bigger than your dad. Isn't that what um, Elisha did? Come you Baal prophets, there's so many of you, you go first. There's so many of you, you go first. Like, and then they have their pity party and like beggarly. Mindset of poverty. Not praying to a true God even. And nothing happens. Something happens. It's not nothing. They get tired. They get hurt. They bleed. That's religion. And then he says, hey, my dad's bigger than your dad. So he has this attitude and he says, hey, come. Bring your water. And he pours out gallons of water over the wood. And he even makes a, 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 a sluit around about so that the water doesn't run off. So he's arrogant. He's carrying... He's Godfident. He's not self-confident. He's not cocky. He's Godfident. He's got God is on my side. What did David do when Goliath was in front of him? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He doesn't carry the sign of the king. I do. And I, this is not my first rodeo, by the way. So you can either see the size of your problem, or you can see my problem is so big, God can't miss it. That was David's attitude. He was like, this guy is so big, I can't miss we asked at this beginning of the year, are you a problem to your problems? Or are you just accepting your problems? So Elijah says, okay, pour out the water. You know what's amazing, and I've, I've shared on it before. Fire comes down from heaven, and it consumes everything. Everything. Even the, the, the stones is, are consumed. Like, you ever seen... Stones consumed by fire. I've never done, I've never seen that. 
It says even the sand and all the water around is like, that's my dad. Okay, and then he falls back into pity parties. <laughs> we should not like, be like the yo-yo of the Old Testament. We are secure in him. Amen. We are signed, sealed, and delivered for always. So, one of the, the things that I've been meditating on is what Acts 2 calls the tongues of fire. The tongues of fire. Okay? Now, I want to just say this quickly. I don't believe Acts is prescriptive. I believe it's descriptive. Okay? Because even if you read through the book of Acts, you see that the church is growing. It's growing up. It's not just growing in numbers. It's growing out of Judaism. And then we have Acts 15, for instance, where they have this conversation about circumcision, and then they decide, well, we don't think it's needed that you still be circumcised. They still go to the Jewish temple to pray, but yet now, today, we're not in the synagogue in Stellenbosch, we're here. So there's a growing out of, and that's how we need to see it. But this happens, and then also Luke is the one who wrote Acts, who wrote Acts and he says basically, in a similar way I've written, in a similar style, then I wrote to you at first, Theopolis. So what did he write to Theopolis? He wrote Luke, the Gospel of Luke as we know it. So we should really read the two together because it's the same author, the same style, and the same audience. Okay? So when he writes Luke, he says, Dear Theopolis, I have set an account, like a journalistic account, of everything that I've seen and heard. So he did an investigation, and he wrote down what was said, what was done by Jesus and the apostles, the disciples who became the apostles. Everyone with me? I need to give you just that. And then he writes Acts, and he says, okay, I'm continuing. This is volume two, actually, because after the resurrection, more things happened, and I'm writing to you again to set things straight. Okay, so he, he writes what was seen. It's prescriptive. Remember that. Okay, so when the day of Pentecost, Acts 2 verse 1, came, all the believers were gathered together in one place. Suddenly, there was a noise from the sky which sounded like a strong wind blowing, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what looked like tongues of fire, the Good News translation says, which spread out and touched each person alike, or divided tongues. Okay, so there was a big flame, and then there was tongues. Now, we think tongues, and then we think there's this little flummicky that sat on the heads. Okay, anyone have that picture? It's about to be challenged. Okay. Which spread out and touched every person there. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to talk in other languages. So the word tongues also refers to, to language, but it's not limited to that. As the Spirit enabled them to speak. Okay, now let's go to Isaiah 5. Let, us help, let the Bible help us interpret the Bible. Isaiah 5 verse 21. It says, Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes and drinking wine and champions at mixing drinks. Nothing new under the sun, is there? We acquit the guilty for a bribe, but they deny justice to the innocent. Therefore, as tongues of fire lick up straw, as dry grass sinks down in the flames... So their roots will decay and their flowers blow away like dust. For they have rejected the law of the Lord Almighty and spurned the word of the Holy One of Israel. Okay? So as the fire devours the stubble, devours, sorry, not devours, devours, like as tongues of fire, the NIV says. So if you think about it, what is, if, if, you, if you have your Weber, I come from Pretoria, we bride in Webers. Yeah? You put your Weber out. And you put in some wood, which you're not supposed to do, but it's nicer. And you light the fire. What, what do you see? What's the color? Let's make it easy. Orange. Okay. And then it makes something like this. So that is called tongues of fire. It's as if the fire has a tongue, and the tongue is jumping out. Okay. That is the descriptive word. So when you are engulfed with the tongues of fire, then it's just like flames. Okay, So the flames of the fire can also be translated the tongues of the fire. The problem is, I don't believe it was a little flummicky on their heads. I believe it was engulfed. Because we are signed, sealed, and delivered. We are now in the Spirit of God. 
Okay, and it doesn't need, you don't need a fire tunnel or you don't need the, the, the flames visibly. It's not the point. It's just like we have a mindset of lack when we think tongues of fire. A little bit, little bit, little bit, little bit, little bit, little bit. So Moses walks in the desert looking after sheep. So often we see shepherds in the Bible, even in the Old Testament. And he's taking care of the sheep of his father-in-law after he murdered the Egyptian. And he sees something that interests him. What does he see? He sees a bush engulfed in flames, yet not burning out. So when we look at fire, we need to look at fire in the Bible. We can't just take it out of one verse. So it is the presence of God, because God speaks up and He says, Moses, take off your sandals, the, the sand on which you're standing is holy ground. And then there's a conversation with the messenger of God, or the angel of God, from the burning bush. So it's not a little flummicky, because otherwise that would have not taken his attention, but it is this burning flame bush, yet not burning out. Everyone with me? What will make the world notice Christians? A little flummicky on your head? Or you so set a light in a flame, yet you're not burning out? What do you think the picture is that, 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 that God has? Like, what, what, Let's say not what God has, what God intended. A city on a hill cannot be hid. Let your light shine brightly before all men, and let them give glory to your Father in heaven. We said that verse this morning. We don't have a little Holy Spirit, or a little bit of Holy Spirit. We have the Spirit of God. And He hopefully has all of you. Okay? So we're looking at this from Moses. And the bush was on fire, but it was not burning out. We've looked at where Elijah spoke of and danced and all those things. And then um, immediately, 1 Kings 18.38 says, The Lord immediately sent fire and burned up the sacrifice, the wood and the stones. It scorched the ground everywhere around the altar and dried up every drop of water in the ditch. When the crowd saw what had happened, they all bowed down and shouted, The Lord is God. The Lord is God. Interesting, if we look at these two accounts, stones burn, wood doesn't. Stones burn, wood doesn't. That's weird, isn't it? Anyone with me? We went to science class and, and, and found that that is uncommon. <laughs> Unusual. Okay. Now, This is where we bring all of that together. 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 9. It says, For we are God's fellow workers, His servants, working together. You are God's cultivated field, His garden, His vineyard, God's building. His garden, His vineyard, His field, God's building. So already there, there is, it's two things. Like we're the house of God, but we're the garden of God. We're the house of God, we're the temple of God, but we're the field of God. Like we cannot just camp in one thing. Like you see, spirituality, kingdom, spirit life is so massively big. And that the words we have is struggling to get to our understanding what is happening. And that's the same with Revelation, the book of Revelation. It's the same with the book of Acts, where what they saw, what they experienced, what they felt could not easily be translated into words. But they had to try. I'm so glad they did. Anyone happy that we have a Bible that goes from Genesis all the way to Revelation, and that people died to preserve the word that you and I take on our phones everywhere? Just think about that. Back to value. What are people, what are people, what will people be willing to pay so that you and I can have a Bible? We, we take these things for granted because it's easy. It's free. Download the app. It costs people their lives. Okay? So we're looking at this writing from Paul, and we're going to verse 10. It says, According to the grace which was given unto me, as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. So we're building on the idea or our theme for the year that is build the house. Okay? We build the house. And Paul says that he's the master builder. 
and he laid a foundation. And he says, and another builds thereon. But let each man take heed how he builds thereon. Okay, so everyone who came to church this morning, you can't just build a house. You need to make careful decisions about how you build the house. That includes your life, your family, your business, but also the church. For the foundation can no man lay than that what is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, man, this is a year of foundation. Well, the foundation is laid. The rock is there. You just need to find it. <laughs> find the rock. Dig until you find the rock and then build on it. That's the idea. We don't lay a foundation. It is laid. But if any man builds on the foundation... Now, this is where it gets interesting. Gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, and stubble. And immediately we jump to the conclusion that the, the gold... The silver and the costly stones will not burn up, but the wood, hay, and the stubble will burn up. And then we make teachings and we interpret these verses in that natural mindset, but I've just shown you from the Old Testament that wood didn't burn and stones did. So if we bring that thinking into this verse, we have to look at it a bit deeper. It says, Each man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it is revealed in fire. And fire itself shall prove each man's work, of what sort it is. If any man's work shall abide which he build thereon, he shall receive a reward. But if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as through fire. What I'm trying to get to you is you bring you. Don't bring so and so, or what so and so can give. Don't bring my gifts to the altar. Bring you. And if I'm wood and you're a precious stone, bring your precious stone. Because sometimes the stones burn and sometimes the wood burn. Because it's about the intent. It's about the heart. It's not about what you bring. It's about the heart with which you bring it. It's about whether you are true to your calling and purpose and whether you say, Hey God, I can just be me. I don't need to be so and so or Joseph Prince or Andrew Womack or Shane Holsgrove. I can just be me. Lord, I can't give a million, but I can give what I can give. And whether that looks like hay, whether that looks like stubble, the fire will prove the intent. What kind it is. You consider how you build. Okay? And you bring what you have. But you cannot bring what you don't have. If you have precious stones and you're only bringing wood, hay and stubble, it's going to burn. But if you have wood, hay and stubble and you can't afford the precious stones, bring what you have. It will not burn. And that's really the fire of God is going to show. The, the, it, what that really means is, is the spirit in it. Because if it's natural fire, it will have natural results. But if it's Holy Spirit fire, you will be engulfed and yet not burn out. If it is natural fire, the bush will burn. Like we've seen now and we heard testimonies of the fires in Pringle Bay and other areas. It burns like it's done. It, it, if the house burns, it's gone. But yet we are a house that can withstand fire. We're a city on a hill... When we are engulfed in the Holy Spirit flames, people will look and see you got, are not burning out. People look at me and I'm like, Yo, you've got so many things. You've got two jobs. You've got this. You've got... They're waiting for me to burn out. Guess what? I'm not burning in my effort. It's the Holy Spirit who burns. People can come have a look. I don't like to stand up front. But that's what I've called to give. That's my, my gift. That's me on the altar here. What do you have? What are you giving? Yes, we're a field, but we're also a building. Yes, we're a vineyard, but we're also living stones. So we cannot just cut that verse in half and say half of the people are going to burn and half aren't. You burn, just don't burn out. That's what God is trying to get to us. Do you not know and understand that you, the church, are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells permanently in you, collectively and individually? We are burning, but not burning out. If anyone destroys the temple of God, corrupting it with false doctrine, God will destroy the destroyer. For the temple of God is holy, sacred, and that is what you are. You are the temple of God. You carry the seal. If you go into... I want to say spur. Let's use spur. I'm in, that, I'm in that stage now. You can realize. like, when, 
Jack says, praise God, I'm not there. <laughs> when you walk under that sign that says spur, you know where you are. You can feel it on the table. <laughs> it's sticky. <laughs> you know you're in a spur. When people encounter you, do they know that they are under the stamp of the Holy God who signed, sealed, and delivered you with the Holy Spirit of promise? This is not normal. This person is different. This person loves me without condition. This person is giving without asking for things back. This person is loving without pretense. Giving without expecting something back. Sharing without gain. That is what we have because we are not the source. We have been engulfed by the source. We are burning, but we're not burning out. If you're burning out, I hope today ministers do that. Because then you're not bringing what God is requesting, what God is inviting. You see, it speaks of corruption here, and the Amplified says that false doctrine corrupts. So what I hope today ministers is this fear that God's not going to be pleased with you one day. God is already pleased. He's already pleased. We've, we went through all those verses in Ephesians. And if you're not sure, go through them again. It's your works that will be tested, not you. It's what you do. It's the purposes that you get up with in the morning. It's how you engage with people. It's whether you have an eternal mindset laying down your life on the altar so that people can come and look at you burn. The stones burned, even the sand. Are we willing to let the dust man, the flesh, burn? Even be consumed so that others can see that God is alive, that they will shout out, the Lord is God. That's salvation. That is what we call to. You know, 1 Corinthians 13, same book, interestingly, says, even if you give your body to be burned as a martyr, yet it's not out of love, it will benefit you nothing. So it's not about how much you sacrifice. It's about whether you align yourself to the doctrine of Christ and the purpose of God. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in his age, let him become a fool, discarding his worldly pretense, pretensions and acknowledging his lack of wisdom, so that he may become truly wise. For the wisdom of the world is foolishness, absurdity, stupidity before God. For it is written in Scripture, He is the one who catches the wise and the clever in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the human um, the thoughts of the humanly wise, that they are useless. God knows the thoughts and the intent of your heart. That's what the Bible helps you to clarify. That is the fire. Bring your thoughts and your intent. Bring yourself under the submission of the Word of God, and the Word will prove your thoughts and intents. You know you're going to do a good thing with the wrong intent. And no one but you and God will know. Sometimes you won't even know. Like, I've been caught out. Like, I think I'm doing it for a good reason. And a verse comes across me and it cuts me to the heart. And it's like, I'm doing this for my own gain. I'm doing this to look good. It's a good thing, but I'm not doing it with the right reason. I'm not doing it with the love motivation. I'm not doing it for others. I'm actually doing it for myself. For my promotion. For me to, to look important. What an awesome place to be. Because God lovingly brings us there. He doesn't punish us. But now we can align and say, Hey, I've been proven by fire. This, what I brought, even though it looks like a diamond, it was burned. So what can I bring that is of pure intent? That is living and aligning with His Spirit and His purposes. Last example I want to give you. In the book of Daniel... We have Daniel and his three friends. And they march off to Babylon. And they are handpicked to become important people. They were actually even handsome, the word says. That's part of the resume for why they were chosen. And then someone says, Hey, Nebuchadnezzar, let's make a statue of gold, of you. And let's make everyone bow down. 
so that they worship you. And this guy thinks like, yo, that that's not like this. And he makes this and he seals it with a decree that anyone who does not bow down will die. And Shadrach, Mesach and Abednego says, we will rather die in the furnace than bow to the golden um, statue. And Daniel 3.17, we pick it up there. It says, if the God we serve truly exists, then he will save us from death at your hand, O king. So if you throw us into the fiery furnace, our God is able to save us. Stupid. <laughs> or full of faith. It often looks the same, doesn't it? Even if he does not save us, you can be sure, O king, that we would not serve your gods or worship the golden statue you have erected. That's the mindset, man. If God comes through, he comes through. If he doesn't, it's okay. I'm still not going to bow before idols. I'm still going to live this life sold out. Upon hearing this, Nebuchadnezzar was filled with anger and his face was distorted with rage against Sadrach, Mesach, and Abednego. He ordered his men to heat the fiery furnace seven times hotter than it usually was. Now, interesting, they don't have thermostats or thermometers. So seven times is just as hot as you can. Completely hot. <laughs> That's what it means. Verse 20, he also commanded some of his mighty men to bind Shadrach, Mesach, and Abednego and throw them into the white-hot furnace. Immediately, they tied up the three men while they still had on all their clothes, their trousers, shirts, and turbans, and threw them in the white-hot furnace. Because the king's command was so urgent and the furnace so overheated, the raging flames, the tongues of fire, burned up the men who carried them into the fire. And the three men, tied and bound, fell inside the blazing hot furnace. You know, this is real fire. Just to prove it, these big gods, who's not in the fire, who's close to the fire, they die. That's how hot the fire is. Then the king was astonished, verse 24, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said, True king. Look, he answered, I see four men, loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. So if we bring all of this together, what gets you through the fire? It's not even what you bring. It's who you bring. It's not what you give. It's, 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 it's who, you, who you bring. It's, it's is the Son of God in this. You know the lady who gave the two mites? She gave it as unto God, not unto a priest or a temple system. She brought God into that gift and Jesus said that's bigger than what anyone gave. These three friends said even if we die in the flames, we, we, we know God can do this. We've seen the bush burn and not burn out. We've seen God send flame. We, we've read about God sending the flames with Elijah. So we know God is in the fire. But they didn't realize that God was in the fire. The fourth man. The Son of God. Those who went to that same fire without God died at the door. Those who went in the midst of the fire with God walked out, not even smelling of a flame. Again, a testimony that led to, let's call it repentance. So, we should not be intimidated by fire. We should just make sure who, take, who we take with us into the fire. Whether I only have wood, hay and stubble to bring, it doesn't really matter if I bring God with me. I have precious stones and rocks to bring. That's what I bring. As long as I bring God with. And that's what I want to just leave with you this morning is if we go back to Acts 2 verse 3 and 4 from the Passion, it says, Then all at once a pillar of fire appeared. You see, there was a pillar that led the Israelites through the desert. It was a pillar of fire. It says, and separated into tongues of fire that engulfed each one of them. I think the Passion speaks a bit more to the picture that I see as well. They were engulfed. 
You see, you can't just be a Sunday Christian. Just a little bit of fire, just a little bit of spirit, just a little bit of God, like maybe Wednesday nights at Life Group and Sundays, and then maybe you add Manakeir or Ironman or Wonder Woman. You, you just sort of... I'm asking you this morning, are you engulfed? Are you overwhelmed by His love? By His goodness? By His power? They were all filled and equipped with the Holy Spirit and were inspired to speak in tongues, empowered by the Spirit to speak in languages they've never learned. The fire is burning. And God is inviting you to come and be engulfed. To come and and, and bring who you are. To lay yourself on the altar. And He's going to wet you with His Spirit. And He's going to burn you with that fire. And it's not going to make sense. And it's going to be unnatural and uncommon and not normal. And the world won't understand. And neither will some of your family. And your boss will say, are you crazy for resigning a job like mine was? Like, There's so many people who say you're going to burn out. You're You're making a mistake. But only you know whether God is in that mistake. You see, I had a biological biology friend. She said to me, There's a thin line between being brave and being stupid. Don't be brave, don't be stupid, just be in faith. Not my will, but your will. Not my power, but your power. Not my fire, but your fire. Not my life, but your life. Not my calling, but your calling. Not my purpose, but your purpose. And before you know it, people will stand and look and say, Hey, this guy is standing on holy ground. This person is burning, but not burning out. This family is on fire for God. This relationship is different. This house is something. Because we're building the house with living stones. And when the fire comes, we'll see through. Because we have someone with us in the fire. You can find more of our free teachings on our website, www.gracelife.ca And if you're ever in the Stellenbosch area, we invite you to join us for one of our gatherings. Our aim is to help you discover Jesus, find family, and experience life. To contact us, or to find out where and when we meet, visit our website, www.gracelife.ca